We start today into Ephesians chapter 4. From here onwards, Paul sets out practical instructions about that apply in life what he's already said. Uh, We know the word doctrine, but many of us misunderstand the word doctrine. It begins with the two letters do. Doctrine is about what you do, not what you know. It's about practical instruction. And the problem is that the church has been very good at doctrine in terms of just information rather than training how to be, how to live. But the word doctrine, particularly from from the Greek word it represents, means how you behave, what you do with this. Practical, reforming, transforming application of the truth. If we only hear the truth but don't do the truth, we're self-deceiving. James says you're like a man who looks in a mirror, walks away, forgets what his face looks like. Yes? We're self-deceiving if we, if we think we're doing well by hearing the truth, but we don't do anything with it. So here's the first six verses of Ephesians 4 today. Just the first six verses. <clears throat> Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. That starts with the word therefore. You know what a therefore is therefore, don't you? (laughs) To make you think backwards before you go forwards. You've got to review what you've just heard before you then say something more. So what has Paul (laughs) covered to arrive in? I didn't do this as overheads because there'd be too many of them. And there's quite a few already later on. So it's in the notes. If you haven't got notes, you're going, oh, no, I haven't got it in front of me. Okay. This is where we've gone through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Okay. Chapter 1. We are chosen to be holy and without blame before him. We were predestined to be adopted as sons, as children of God. We're accepted in Jesus, the loved one. We have redemption through his blood. We've been forgiven our sins. We have been we have received abundant grace. We've, been, we've received the knowledge of his will. We're no longer ignorant of his purposes. We have a guaranteed inheritance in Jesus. We're predestined to live to the praise of his glory. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then there's a prayer there that we would know the hope of his calling. We would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance, his inheritance in us, the saints, that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. And then in chapter 2, it says, We were dead in trespasses and sins, but we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We've been seated in heavenly places. We have become trophies of his grace. By grace we are saved through faith, not by works. Yet we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared for us. We don't produce the good works, but because we're in him, the good works are produced in us. And then in end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, we are one church, one people of God in Messiah Jesus. The Gentiles were strangers from God's covenants and promises, but now in Messiah, we're brought to the same promise and the same covenant through the blood of Christ. He, Jesus, is our peace. He's made peace and he preached peace. And the church is Jews and Gentiles together 
one people growing to be a dwelling place of God. This temple made without hands, constructed by Jesus himself. The church, Jews and Gentiles, is growing to be filled with God. This is a mystery that in times past was hidden, but is now revealed through the apostles and prophets. And for this purpose, that we, the church, will display the manifold wisdom of God to the angelic hosts. And then Paul produces another prayer for the, that we might know the surpassing greatness and, and, and majesty of our God, that we'd be strengthened with might by the Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. And all of this is because he is able to do far above, beyond all that we can ask or think. That's the first part of the letter. Our calling and position in Christ Jesus. Now because those things are true, this is therefore. And the Bible Bible here continues to teach us how to live in this calling and position. What kind of people should we be if these things are true of us? How will God's grace cause and help us to walk? And walk is an expression the Bible uses for the way we live our lives. We saw last Sunday that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Because he is the life, we have a way of life to live now by his truth. A way of life which is centered on him and follows him. He is our life. And I discovered, you know, Bible reading notes, go through Deuteronomy. There's a phrase there in Deuteronomy, he is your life. God is your life. And I thought Jesus borrowed that phrase and said it about himself. He made the claim, Yahweh is your life, I am your life. Jesus is our life. He's our whole way of life. Get back in a bit there later. And Paul says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. He's repeating here what he said at the start of chapter 3. To paraphrase, he says, I'm imprisoned for the Lord's sake, but also for your sake. It's because I've served you Gentiles with the gospel that I'm now writing this from prison. He's not ashamed to place some weight upon this. He wants his readers or hearers to listen and pay attention because Paul has literally sacrificed his liberty for the sake of the gospel and for their sakes. Sacrifice and passion with which he served them and with which he continues to serve them. But Paul doesn't say, I'm here because you put me here. No, the Lord's in charge. Then he says, Walk worthy of your calling. I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Well, who called them? Not Paul. God. God called them. That's the context. We are the called out people of God. In our Bibles where we find the word church, the Greek word, there's ecclesia. It means those who are called out. It's like you go through the town and say, come outside, come out, come on. And the people who follow the voice and are called out are the called out ones. That's what it means. Really, in some of the early version, English versions of the Bible, they put the word assembly and congregation, but the church authorities didn't like that. Because church was what they thought church was, you know. But, but actually, very simply, that's what the word means, an assembly, a congregation, a group of people who are called out and called together. And who calls them? Not a town crier. God calls them out and calls them together. 
Our Bible plan has had us reading Deuteronomy in the, this last week or so, later chapters. And the call of God to Israel was to be his people. They were called out from slavery in Egypt, called to be in covenant with Yahweh, called to obedience, called to holiness, called to be his special people. One special nation among all the nations. If they were faithful to the Lord, they would be blessed. They would know prosperity and peace. But if they were unfaithful, and they broke covenant with the Lord, they would experience curse and loss. We, what are we called to? We're called to, let me give you one word, sonship. To live as the children and heirs of God. Ephesians 1 verse 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ to himself. Romans 8 and the great passage there about being the sons of God, ladies, it's inclusive language there. Don't fret it. We are called out to be conformed to the image of Jesus, our, our Lord and our elder brother. To share finally in his glory and his inheritance. We're called to be one family under one Father. And therefore, this cry, this, this injunction, this, 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 this urgent command here is walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk worthy. Walk with some balance, some dignity. Walk with some purpose. Walk with some integrity. Walk with cleanse, cleanness of heart and action. Walk worthy. Living in a way that is appropriate to who and what God has made us and is still making us. And this instruction, I want to pin this down again, is not you, 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 you. It's you together, which includes you, 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 you. The language is corporate. If you, got it, if you like the King James, you, the King James will give you the clue. If it says the, it's you individually. If it says you with a Y-O-U, it means you all. That's the way the King James English works. And there's a, there's a big difference between understanding what's something that applies just to me or to us all, including me. Because it means I don't work this out on my own, I work this out with other people. I, I don't walk this alone, I walk this with company, with the communion of the saints, with fellowship with support, with help, with correction, with encouragement, with all the things that help me keep going. It's a community of faith, a corporate Christianity that is written about here. And the sad thing is the Western church has so personalized and individualized almost the whole Bible that when you say it another way, it sounds weird. But we are mishandling and misrepresenting the truth by making it all about me and my personal faith and my personal Savior. That is mishandling the Bible. And you hear it all the time. And even some modern commentators don't seem to get out of that. It's a self-focused way. No wonder people assume that the Bible's all about me and my blessing and my family and my life and my this and my that, you know? Praying a Noah-type prayer. God bless me, my family, that's all. <laughs> yeah? The rest can go. We don't have a bigger vision than ourselves. We together are the body of Christ, says Corinthians and Romans, and individually members of that body. 
members together and then individually. We are the body of Christ. I don't know if you can see, but there's lots of pictures of people's faces making up that face of Jesus here. This calling, this command is to all of us together. Then it works through to every one of us as an individual believer. Because here's the strange thing, okay? What we are as a company, as a local church, is the addition together of what we each of us are individually. Isn't that how it is in a family? Family's at peace because everybody's playing their part. Family's not at peace because someone's being awkward. So the whole is affected by each member. That's why we saw the lesson in Deuteronomy that those who wish to reject faithfulness to the Lord and choose to live in wickedness cannot continue in the, in the camp, cannot continue in the company of God's people. You want to live like that? You're going to have to go out there and live like that. This calling is... And I didn't even put a screen for this and I thought I should should be there. This calling is a calling of God, so live a God-centered life. It's a great calling, so live a great life. Stop thinking small and weak. Peter says it's a holy calling, so live a holy life. Walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. How do you see it? How do you measure it? It's God's call. It's a great call. It's a holy call then that is the wet pattern, that is the momentum that should be in our lives, that we're moving towards this great call of God and this holy call of God. So in verses 2 to 6, this charge from Paul begins to spell it out practically. And he starts with this, practicing love one for another. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Let me read that again. With all humility and gentleness with patience or forbearance, long-suffering. You, 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 you're suffering, you, you know, letting this person, giving them some space, you're trying to help them, accepting one another in love. I want to talk to you a few minutes about attitudes and actions. Humility, gentleness, and patience are all attitudes which are then seen in appropriate actions. Okay? Because of the way you... Dis- handle someone, the way you treat someone is because you are carrying that attitude of heart. Now, the Bible says where to put on those attitudes. Not, oh, be nice if I felt like that. No, actively pursue them, put them on. Now, let me explain to you how character works. When you choose an action, you f- then form a habit, and the habit forms your character. <coughs> if you go to any self-help book, Philosophy, psychology, I don't, I'm not even good at my names on those things. They'll tell you the same truth. And it's what the Bible is telling us. That when we change the way we walk, we learn to walk in a new way. Now, God's grace comes to us so that it changes the way we behave. And as the way we behave is changed, so our attitudes and our desires also change. Characters formed by habits of life. And habits of life are formed by choices. No one started addicted to alcohol or nicotine or something else, but as they made some choices, that habit formed. Right? And what, how that is in, in terms of kind of substances is the way it is in terms of attitudes and actions, behavior. Choosing and forming a habit will over time change your heart, whether for good or for bad. 
So these two words work together. If you wait until you think you have the right attitude to do the right thing, you'll wait forever. But if you choose to do the right thing, you'll find your heart begins to gear up to it. Because you're forming a right attitude by taking right actions. When your lifestyle then changes through the grace of God, so can the label that's written over you. You'll become known for who you are and what you have become in God's grace, not what you were in your sin. How many of you would like to have a new label? (laughs) It changes because God changes you. Let me read the, I love this scripture. 2 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Well, actually it's 9 to 12. 2 Corinthians, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral person, no idolaters, adulterers, anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. There's a few severe labels there, aren't there? And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Implying you no longer go there anymore. You've learned a new walk. And your label has changed. And you don't even carry an X in front of it. I'm an X whatever. The problem with being an X whatever is you still keep going back to it and referring to it. The label is changed. You're a washed and sanctified and justified child of God through Jesus. And that's now your way of life. The past is the past. Having ceased to be what we once were and becoming what we could not become apart from God's grace, we ought to have, since we've been there, we've been that in something of that past that's been in our lives too, we need to recognize, we need to have humility and gentleness and patience and acceptance towards our brothers and sisters, some of whom are only just coming in to faith and obedience to Jesus. And we choose and use the attitudes and actions of humility and gentleness and patience. When Paul talks about unity and peace, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us all. The old version, King James says, in the bond of peace. Like it's a, it's a knot that's tied. Let me be clear about this. We don't make unity. I, I, I've been, I don't know how many church together kind of churches in a town, Harlow, Elford, whatever. You know, they, they get together, they, they try to make unity happen. They work really, really hard to make unity. I'm thinking, it doesn't happen like this. Only the Holy Spirit can make unity. And he does so by, you know, we change our attitudes and actions. But we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit by pursuing the things that make for peace. Jesus said, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. So it's a characteristic of the sons of God that they make peace. Yes? Yes? It's part of their style. They're creating peace, bringing things to order. But Paul tells us where to diligently keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's, it's practical. It's urgent. Be diligent about this. You know? It, you know, what are the things you need to be diligent about? Well, washing your hands from germs. 
You know, or anybody else, any things you need to be diligent about. You know, you need to be diligent about looking in your mirror when you're driving and being aware of what's around you when you're driving. You know, there's things you can't be slack on. Because you, you, you get into trouble if you're slack on it. We cannot be slack on keeping the unity of the Spirit by pursuing peace. Something, the way of peace, is to sacrifice the truth. To ignore what is wrong and right and what is dishonouring to God. Oh, let's just ignore that. Oh, no, no, they, you know, we, can't, we can't go there. We just, we just set all that aside. And, and frankly, whenever you get there, you find people are you know, rejecting the authority of the Bible. So there are debates I can't even begin to have because if people don't respect the Bible the way I respect it, I don't know where we're going to go in this conversation. There is truth. There is right and wrong. But some, on the other hand, hold on to the truth in an ungracious way, by which I mean they're condemning rather than correcting others. They're not seeking to correct someone to help them. They just, oh, well, well, yeah, you know. You're a so-and-so. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Rather than seeking to say, listen, this is not appropriate. This is not, you know. Don't you understand the Bible? Talks, don't you understand there's a way of righteousness for us in Jesus? We should not let go of either grace or truth. We need to be gracious with people, but we also need to be truthful people. In fact, later on in Ephesians 4, we come to this phrase, but speaking the truth in love. We don't back down on the truth, but we handle it graciously. Yes? We seek wisdom from God how to say things that need saying. And so we're called to pursue holiness, this, this whole new way of life together in the fear of the Lord by confirming one another, building one another up, and correcting one another when appropriate. When we diligently pursue these things that make for peace and wholeness and unity, we are actually behaving as the children of God in the family of God. That's the point. It's not holiness for its own sake. It's so that the family likeness is being worked out amongst us. We're learning to be like Jesus. In character. Let me come to these uh, one, one, one. I didn't even count them. Are there six or seven? I can't remember. One, one, one. Let me read it out to you again. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. And it's no surprise that that's seven because seven in the scriptures is a there's a Hebrew significance to the number seven. It's the number of completion. When you've got seven, that's it. It's full. Don't ask me why. If you do, I'll go, don't know. <laughs> I can be humble sometimes. <laughs> um, seven ones there. One body. I'm just going to headline them, then I'll unpack them a little bit more. One body of which we are members. One spirit of whom we are partakers. One hope of which we are all heirs. One Lord of whom we are all his subjects. One faith which we must hold and follow. One baptism which we must all receive and then live accordingly. One God and Father of all who is, I can't improve on this statement, who is above all and through all and in all. Let's think about one body. Going back to Ephesians 1, the body is the church, which is his body, the fullness of 
the one who fills all things in every way. In Romans 12, 4, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Interesting, the connection there is not we're members of this body, we're members of one another which makes us part of the body. The cells in my body are connected to the cells next to it and because they're connected to the cells next to it, it's part of the body. But if there's no connection to someone close to you and you claim to be connected to the body of Christ, mm-mm, doesn't work. People think, I want to be a Christian who just goes here and goes there and whatever else, but I'm not part of a particular local church. I don't think you can do that. Do you know why? Because if you're not connected properly, closely, then you're not connected to the whole. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12. We are the body of Christ. There's one body. Now I know we're part of Elim and down the road here there's a church that's part of uh, uh, um, uh, Harvest Network, Gateway, and then there's God Central which is part of New Frontiers and there's Anglican churches and Baptist churches in Harlem. But you know, when the Lord Jesus looks on Harlow, if you can imagine this, this is a bit twee, but if Jesus looks down from heaven on Harlow now, do you know what? He only sees one kind of person, or two kinds of people, those are Christians and those are not. There is one body. Yeah? There are those who believe in him and love him and those who don't. Sheep and goats, whatever way, you know, it's either or. He doesn't particularly say, no, over there, oh, look, there's the Anglicans, there's the Baptists. I mean, he sees that. But, but what he recognizes, the people he calls his own, are one kind of person. Yes. Those who believe him and trust him and follow him. There's one body. Therefore, we need to make alliances with other Christians in other churches, and sometimes that's not so easy, uh, especially when we start to handle some truth, but... Uh, we need to recognize with humility we're part of Christ. We're not the whole thing. Yeah, we're not. And there's a tendency over the centuries that the latest group that starts, the latest little renewal, and out of that a new church movement is formed. Nothing wrong in that at all. Sometimes the old's got decayed and the wineskins are inflexible and there needs to be new wineskins because God's doing something fresh. And so, you know, new wineskins come about. New, but the problem is 20, 40 years down the way, they're no longer the new wineskin. They're going the same way of becoming staid and dull and whatever else. So God's always, you know, working in that. But the danger is that we think that because we're the new thing, I'm not saying this is us, but the danger is that those who are the new thing think they're the only thing. And they've forgotten that we're one body. (coughs) They've forgotten to keep connections with other Christians in other circumstances. There's one spirit of which we're all partakers. It was a significant point of unity to the early Christians that they'd all shared the same experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. They'd all drunk of the same Spirit. And Paul's not ashamed to use that language in Ephesians and in Corinthians. Look at this. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Paul unashamedly compares being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. Except that being drunk with wine won't make you be a better person than being filled with the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit lives in every Christian believer. And for them, this was an experience of the Spirit which was common to every one of them. They'd all known what it was for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them, for them to speak in tongues and prophesy. One Spirit. Common experience of the early church. One Spirit. One hope. And Paul adds more to this way. He says, one hope which you were called to at your calling. We're called to hope, to live in expectation of God's goodness and grace today, tomorrow, and to the last day and beyond. We share this same hope, this same positive confession and outlook on life, that God will help us. Not, I'm a big man, I can do it, I'll be all right. No, God will help us. In his goodness, by his power. This life is now life with God now, trusting every day for grace and help. Life with him even if we die. But also, looking to the end of the age, the return of our Lord Jesus will raise all the dead and those who are his will enter his eternal kingdom and live with him forever. We have a hope. Do you have a hope this morning? I mean, like the rest of today and tomorrow, God's going to help you. His grace is going to be towards you. His power is at work in you. That's hope. That's hope. Confident expectation of future grace. So our boast is not in ourselves. I can be somebody. No, I'm trusting him. I don't believe he's going to let me down. He's going to help me to deal with this, to deal with that, to get through life. By God's grace and the help and support of my brothers and sisters, we'll get through this. There is one Lord. One Lord. There's only one Lord, one King. And he doesn't have bishop or archbishop or something else or even pastor in front of his name. It's Jesus. There's only one master. Jesus. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, that includes two things. Ownership and governance. Because he owns us, he directs us. He's perfectly entitled to tell us to do whatever he wants us to do. And we don't actually have the rights to say no. Even though we do. Our puny little rebellions. Oh, how puny they are. He owns us and commands us. When we call him Lord but refuse to obey him, that again is like nonsense. That's self-deception. I'll call him Lord, but I'm not going to do that. Which he commands, by the way. Jesus says, Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Then he goes on to give us the parable about the wise man and the foolish man who built houses. The wise man built his house on a rock. The foolish man built his house on sand. The same flood, the same wind, the same storm came to both houses. How many of you know trouble just happens in life? You're not, you're not inoculated against it because you're a Christian. But the house that was built on the rock, which Jesus says is the one who does my words, not just hears them, does, obeys my words, his house stood when the same flood blew away someone else's life altogether. The only security in life is this, doing what Jesus commands us, being obedient to him. Let me say again, that no one makes Jesus Lord. God the Father has done that comprehensively and eternally. 
He's raised him from the dead and appointed him as Lord, as King over all. But there is a point in our lives when we come to confess, to realize that Jesus is Lord and we confess that he's my Lord and we begin to be aligned in the way we live to his Lordship over us. It's a change in us, not a change in him. He is the Lord. He is, without question. But there's a change in us that we recognize it and we respond to it and say, you are my Lord and I need to change. And here I am. Lord Jesus, come and govern me. Come and direct me. Come and be my shepherd. There's one faith. The faith is not just believing stuff, it's believing something in particular and then living accordingly. It's the gospel of Jesus, the truth. It's what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity and John Stott called basic Christianity, both of which are good books. If you haven't read those, they're classics. You should read them. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, John Stott, Basic Christianity. Very early in the history of the church, the following creedal statement of the faith began to be used. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And again, I want you to read it with me this morning, okay? This, is, this, is, this goes back to certainly probably before 200 AD. Ready? We believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, (laughs) come on, was crucified, dead, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Hang on. (laughs) This was a bit too clever. I shouldn't have done it. And sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. 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 Some later versions have he descended into hell, but we don't believe that to have clear (coughs) biblical basis, and therefore most modern theologians reject that phrase. This faith is not just to be recited, it's to be believed in our hearts and at work in our lives. I remember one of the times I did get into debate with a Christian who was, you know, liberal, didn't really believe the Bible. And at one point in the discussion I said to him, do you know what, do you know the Apostles' Creed? He said, yeah, we say it every Sunday in church. I said, yeah, I believe it. (laughs) And I I dared to say to him, and I think the difference is, my friend, I believe it, you say it, but you don't. You know? These things are fundamentals of the faith to me. Basic Christianity. We believe these things to be true. But the test of real faith is not words but actions. Obedience to the truth. One faith that leads to obedience to the truth. We trust it to make it work in our lives by the grace of God. One baptism. Before people started baptizing babies, which was around 200 AD, every Christian 
shared the same experience of confessing their personal faith in Jesus and commitment to follow him as two of our friends did last week by being baptized in water. Is Galatians. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. All right? Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Another scripture says, put off the old man. Put on the new man, which is renewed in the image of Jesus. Put it on. How did you do that? Baptism, and you carry on doing it. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. In that respect, in your redemption and position as citizens and sons, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Incredible equality of sonship and inheritance. No one's over you, you know, in that sense of being your priest who stands between you and God. You're accountable to the priest before you're accountable to God. I'm accountable to you in overseeing you, and you're accountable for me in the care of a right to you. Different matter. If we've been baptized into faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus, then that is how we now walk. It's our way of life because we've been baptized. Our old life has been buried in the water. You know? Wash down the plug hole afterwards. If you read through Romans, you'll find that because we've been baptized, confessing our sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, every one of us needs to reckon these things, argue them through, reason them out. We have a new relationship with sin and a belief, unbelief and rebellion and lawlessness and disobedience. It's summed up in one word, dead. That's our relationship with those things. Dead. <coughs> not going, not leaving, dead our new relationship is this with God with obedience with righteousness and holiness words we used to shy away from words we'd go oh no you can't mean that we are now alive to God alive to obedience to the most high alive to living righteously and in holiness we act it out in baptism buried with Christ raised to newness of life I had the fun of doing that. I haven't done that for years. I've let other people do it. Got in there myself last night. We need to be acting out our baptism in the everyday choices and actions that we make. Dead, alive. Dead, alive. When the thought comes, when the rebellion begins to form in our hearts, we go, No! I'm dead to that. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because God's forgiving. He keeps forgiving my sins. So, you know, okay, that's not a bad way to live. No, says Paul. God forbid. Don't you know that if you die with Christ, you die to sin? Live now a new life for God. Take hold of his grace. Take hold of his power and live this new life, which is promised to you in Jesus. Baptism, that's what baptism signifies. You know, I know we give people a, a, a certificate because you know they might like to have that on the wall or whatever. And, and I know that when the children are dedicated, that helps them to get into Christian schools. We don't baptize children; we show that they were dedicated, and it gives them a little bit of proof that the child is part of our church fellowship. Okay, but you know, you can look at a certificate on a wall, a wall every day, but it might do you any good unless you're making the choices and decisions that show that you are a baptized believer in Christ. You're walking His way now not your old way. 
And lastly, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. He's, now, this is not just a general statement about the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign God, great, far, high, above all. This is talking about us. The context is still. It's talking about us, the church, us as Christians. God is above us. Oh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful God's stature is more than my stature. I'm grateful his wisdom is more than mine. I'm grateful that his intelligence is more than mine. I'm grateful his grace and mercy is more than mine. He's above us. But then he's in us. And at work in us. And he's at work through us. We looked at that before, didn't we? See, it picks up on these other phrases from earlier in Ephesians. The immeasurable greatness of his power to us, according to the work, is working of his vast strength. He's working by his great strength towards us. Then it says, may we be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. That's God working in us. And then he says in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. His, work, his power is working in us to work something through us and from us, to change us from the inside out, so that we walk in the good works and the new way of life that he's prepared for us. And all this is because he firstly chose us and called us to be his children and members of his family. I wonder if you notice the Trinity in those seven ones. One Lord. Actually, the order was this. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. Even in, that, even in those seven phrases, there is a mention of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet God is one. One God in three persons. One, there is only one Lord. There is only one Spirit. There is only one God and Father. But they together are one God. Walk worthy of your calling. This is a great charge, isn't it? It's a great instruction. It's weighty. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. With all humility and gentleness. I'm not looking down on other people. Or reminds the Corinthians, you once were some of them. Right? With patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit which, with the peace that binds us. Now later on in Ephesians, chapter 4, 5, and 6, Paul writes about dealing with lying and anger and sexual immorality and drunkenness and so on. But here is the foundation to Christian life. We walk and work out the grace of God in real life together helping one another towards peace and holiness and honoring God. It's a together thing. You know, some people imagine if you get away on your own and you're just like a, a monk in a cave, you can be really holy. Those who tried it found it didn't work because they carried themselves there. They took who they were even into a cave on their own. They still had to wrestle with their own nature. And their own sin. doesn't work. We work this out together. The Bible talks about confessing our faults one for another and praying for one another. About affirming one another and encouraging one another, correcting one another, admonishing one another. Because in all of those things, we are intent on growing together to become more like Jesus. 
Now, of course, the church today is split by factions and divisions. And the church is no less today than in the first century beset by false believers, false teachers, and false prophets. And sadly, in many ways, the church is compromising with the world. But what the Lord sees within all that is his body, his bride, those who are his, living by faith in him, obeying his word. And I want to ask you this morning, are you one of them? Are you born of God? Are you a child of God? Are you a baptized believer in Jesus? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Then you are called to walk, worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And you are called to do that, being helped by your brothers and sisters. When we read in the Creed, I believe in the communion of the saints, that's not when we all get to heaven, what a time of rejoicing it will be. It means now too. I believe that fellowship with my brothers and sisters really matters for my sake and theirs. I believe in the communion of the saints. Imperfect as it is, you know, if I'm getting things wrong sometimes, but we believe in the communion of the saints. Because we are growing together. We look at it more in Ephesians 4, how the body grows. We are this temple made with our hands, is one way of talking about it. In other ways, we are this body which is growing until the whole body. Every part is fulfilling its purpose and every part is knowing the grace of God and somehow the whole thing grows to such a level that God fills it in his presence. That instead of my body being the receptacle or the carrier of my soul, the church begins to be the place filled with God. The people filled with God, I should say. Don't think of a building. It's a people. A people, a community who are filled with God. That's God's vision for his church. That's what Paul's talking about here. And yet, we are together what every one of us brings. What every one of us does. The character we are growing in and forming by the help of others as well. We are the sum of that. So it is a command to the church and to every Christian. Pursue the things that make for peace. Pursue the building up of one another in your most holy faith. Pursue encouraging one another to walk this walk, to live this life, a life of joy and obedience to Jesus. When we do what he tells us, he says, you will then have joy and you will then have peace. Don't think that because you do this and do that, things of Sunday attendance or whatever else, that these, those, everything happens just automatically. No, no, no. There's a pursuing. There's a diligence. There's an, there's, there's an activity of faith which God responds to. And just kicking back and saying, whatever is no way to live as a Christian. Whatever will find you wanting. Will find you lacking. We're those who pursue. As the heart pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, great is your faithfulness, O God our Father. The old hymn says, morning by morning new mercies we see.
We thank you for all your goodness towards us, all your provision and protection. All the things we forget to be grateful for, we give thanks again this morning. We thank you beyond everything else. You have called us to yourself to be your dear children. Now you instruct us that there are ways in which we are to begin to live as your dear children. So that we're being conformed to the family likeness, the image of God seen in Jesus. We appeal to you, Father, show us, every one of us, specific things this week in which we can make some better choices and build some better habits and disciplines and so grow in character because the growth in every one of us will be the growth of us together as we can encourage others to do the same, as we can pass on the lessons we've learned and the encouragement with which we've been encouraged and even the correction with which we've been corrected. We grow together in the knowledge of God until we grow to the measure of Jesus, to that perfect manhood. We become finally real, true human beings who bear the image of God. We confess, Lord, this morning, for some of us still, our brokenness and our tendency to rebel and to wonder. We submit ourselves under your hand and pray for more of your grace. Strengthen us and direct us. You are the Lord. It's your authority to tell us what we need to be and what we need to do. But we say this morning, blessed be your name. Our Father, above all, in all, through all. You are our Father. Jesus, you are our leader, a shepherd, our elder brother. And in some ways you are making us like yourself. And we thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, we wouldn't neglect to honor you and thank you. For you are God with us. You are the one at work in us. Whether we acknowledge you, whether we speak to you, whether we are kind of listening, you're still at work. Even if it's that every day you're reminding us of the same one thing that we need to fix right now, you are absolutely still at work. We honor your name. I pray for anyone this morning who has yet to know the love of God through Jesus, what it is to become a dear child of the Most High. That Holy Spirit, you will fix Jesus, the truth of Jesus, so clearly, so cleanly in their hearts that they will open to you like a flower opens to the sunshine and say, Jesus, be my king. Be my king, please. Come and rule my life. Pray that Holy Spirit will do that in people today and from now through whatever time there is that breakthrough, that their hearts will open to you in faith, in obedience, so that Jesus is even more honored in more people learning his name. Amen. 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 We're going to break.